You're listening to Season 2, Episode 9 of the Attempt Adventure Podcast, a podcast all about travel, finding adventure every day, and seeking out adventurous ways to make life more interesting. From Bangkok, Thailand, I am your host, Michael DeRosiers, joined as always by my co-host, James Barrett from Boulder, Colorado. Well, James, in this episode, we are joined by photographer Robert Loudon from robertloudon.com. Robert has traveled all across North America, photographing beautiful landscapes in U.S. and Canada national parks. In this episode, we talk about his photographic journey, getting outdoors and exploring the wilderness and the national park system. But first, James, did you do anything new or adventurous this week? Now, hang on, listeners, we both received a penalty in the last episode. However, That was literally yesterday that we recorded this, so it has not been a week. It has not been two weeks. This is Hollywood magic here. We don't have to submit our penalties just yet. So, nothing really super exciting, considering I live in one of the most beautiful places in North America. My wife and I, we've been trying to explore our neighborhood more. We we don't, most of the time, we just sort of get in the car and leave when we want to go do something. We don't really go around us, so... We decided we were going to take a walk, and turns out there is a mountain bike park, there is a skate park, there is some great parks with great little hiking trails and a river, like literally five minutes from my house, and I had no idea it was there. (laughs) I think that's important, right? Yes. We don't have to go far to find that, to find adventure. Mm -mm. And as a matter of fact, I'm glad you said that because that's actually something that Robert and I touch on in the episode. Like we do talk about that. And we've talked about it as well in in previous episodes, how we have these blinders that prevent us from seeing the adventure in our own backyards. Yeah. We walked and we were watching these guys um, do like the, um, you know, I don't, I don't know exactly what it's called. I don't want to misspeak because it's not like BMX bike. But it's they're on regular bikes, it's not dirt bikes or anything. But they're doing the jumps and tricks and oh, that's so cool! Super cool, and it's all, all on dirt and stuff like that. So it's it's mountain biking sort of. I don't know exactly what it's called. If any of you um, do that, please let me know because I want to know what it is because it looks amazing. That sounds really fun. That's cool. I, I, I guess you didn't try it though, did you? <laughs> no, no, I did not. The last time I was on a bike was probably in Thailand. Was it really at Ayutthaya? Yeah, I don't I don't own a bike. Boulder is very bike friendly. However, where we are from is not. So uh, Dallas, the Dallas Fort Worth area is notoriously non-bike friendly. I think it's the least bike friendly city in the US or something like that. Got to sell those cars. Yeah. Anyway, we digress. I don't own a bike. I would like a bike, but I just don't have one right now. <laughs> That's fair. I mean, I got that really good bike last year, third hand from our friend and fellow podcaster Greg Jorgensen, and I have taken it out several mm-hmm. times. I still haven't done my ride to Ayutthaya like I've been planning to do. It's logistically tricky. I don't want to do it by myself, so I, I'm just trying to find someone that, that wants to go. And it's a ways. That's that's a, it is. that's a ride. How far is it? It is 81 kilometers. So, so about 40 miles. Like 40-ish, yeah. Yeah, something like that. Both ways, you're looking at an 80-mile ride. That's, I mean, that's... that's a- I probably wouldn't do it in a day, I'd probably go there and then probably stay overnight and maybe 
like, cause like if you're going to go to Ayutthaya, you're probably going to want to see the ruins and stuff anyway. Like you don't want to yeah. just go there and then turn around. So I'd probably go there and then uh, book a hostel and then come back the next day or even just like go there and take the train back. <laughs> Maybe that's, that's not a bad idea either. Yeah. Cause I mean like 40, 40 miles on a bike, that's not too bad. No, it's mostly flat going that way. So it's not too bad. But uh, anyway, that's, that's very cool. James. Awesome. Me, I, I did something new. It wasn't really an adventure. I'll share you a few photographs, and I'll also put these on the website. I, I went to a new market the other day, a market I had never been to. It was called uh, Jot Fairs, and had uh, all sorts of food trucks and beer. You could get some beer, walk around, just food of all sorts. It was right in the middle of the city, right near Praram 9, which is the mall that you and I went to when we were trying to cash my paycheck that time when it was the holiday and all the banks <laughs> were closed. <laughs> Good times. <laughs> yeah. Um, I tried this new type of food. I forget what it's called. It's a Chinese Thai dish. It's like a sour, sour soup. So it uses like the part of the pork that you normally don't eat, like the spine of the pork. So it's like spine soup, I think mm-hmm. is what it translates to. And they give you like a plastic glove and you just have to like pick the meat off of it with the plastic glove. Hmm. I think that this market has only been open. I don't think it's been open very long, maybe just within the last year or so. It looks really cool. It's very um, Western. Hipster. <laughs> yeah, it's very like, it's very hipster. It looks like something we'd have here in Boulder. Yeah, you got a big old Cadillac DeVille right in the middle. Beautiful car. That is a nice Cadillac. Could you imagine owning that? That'd be amazing. I was looking at that thing, James, and I was like, how on earth did they park? I mean, you remember my first car. My first car was huge. It's an, and it was oh, like yeah. 1987 Oldsmobile. It was half the size of this Cadillac. I don't know how they, like, what if you have to parallel park? How on earth did you ever drive that? There were a whole lot less people on the road, I think, back then. And so you didn't have, because you couldn't turn sharply either. You need, like, no. you need like 100 feet to turn. But I mean, this place looks really cool. I don't know about you, but I've just been home so much the last couple of years it was just so nice to actually get out and just be around other people kind of for the first time. And everyone was just having a good time, listening to music, walking around, getting good food. Yeah. I was about to say my favorite part about these pictures is not like the stalls or the, the food or anything like that. It's just seeing people enjoying themselves. I know I've missed that so much. <laughs> and just being out from what I can see in the pictures, it seems to be a good mix. There's a few tourists, but it's mostly locals. Yeah, it is. And it's in a fairly upscale kind of neighborhood. It's not like a... You can kind of tell. It's not really a very like traditional Thai market or anything like that. It's no, definitely it more not. of like a... Like you said, it's more westernized, more of like a food market. <laughs> the um, the grain silo is very familiar. I don't know if you've been down to Waco in the last couple of years, but it looks like Magnolia. Mm-hmm. It does. Say what you will about Chip and Joanna Gaines, but they have definitely helped the reputation of Waco. It's it's really nice not to mm-hmm. be associated with David Koresh as much. <laughs> it's nicer to be associated with like hipster furniture. That is true. If you had to pick one. For those of you that don't know, just look up David Koresh in the Branch Davidians and you, you can read about it. Well, all right, guys. Well, before we get into the episode, just wanted to ask if you would do us a favor. If you enjoyed the show, I'd like to ask you guys to please maybe share it. If you know someone that's maybe into photography or wants to get more into outdoor photography, let them know about this episode because here we're talking to a real landscape photographer. Also, if you don't mind, give us a review. Leave us a review on your podcast app of choice. That actually makes a huge difference. Next up, our reminder of our monthly challenge. Really, I guess we could call it a bi-monthly challenge because this year we're trying to do challenges over the course of two months to give people a little bit more time to participate. Mm-hmm. And this challenge is courtesy of Linda King, the smart travelista, and that is to write 
100 or 1,000 words. We have two categories. Like a travel writer telling us about either your hometown or the place where you live. And that will be due at the end of June. So get those in, submit those to us, and we'll be reading some of our favorites on the air. And we'll be doing it too. And lastly, if you do enjoy the show, if you like what we do, if you have enjoyed hearing the guests that we have on, we'd like to ask you guys to just check out our Kofi page. We started a Kofi page to help support the show. Obviously, we love making the Attempt Adventure podcast, but things like podcast hosting, domain registration, the website, it's not free. It's not cheap to do. So if you do want to help offset some of the costs of the show, I'd like to invite you guys to head on over to ko-fi.com slash attemptadventure. There are two different ways you can help us out. You can buy us a beer, in which case we will actually have a beer on the air, shout you out and give you a thank you. Or you can become a member by subscribing to one of our monthly tiers. Members get all sorts of benefits. They uh, will get to help come up with questions for upcoming guests and make the show a bit more interactive. And if you even sign up at certain tiers, you'll receive real physical handwritten postcards from me and James a couple times a year, just to say thank you for helping keep the show on the air. All right, guys, now onto the interview. Ladies and gentlemen, Robert Loudon. All right, everyone, uh, ladies and gentlemen, listeners of the Attempt Adventure podcast, I am very, very excited to be joined today by Robert Loudon, a photographer who is here to tell us about some incredible adventures around North America. So Robert, welcome to the show. How are you? I'm great. Thanks for having me. So glad that you're here. So well, the first question that we always like to ask our guests is just to tell us a little bit about yourself, who you are, where you live. And what is your relationship with adventure? For sure. Um, so uh, as you said, my name is Robert. I am a Canadian photographer um, based in Toronto, Canada. And I basically travel all over Canada and the world, um, just kind of photographing great things. So for me, I, I guess my job in a way is travel and adventure. Um, mm-hmm. We do a lot of uh, fine art uh, photography, landscape photography, a lot of the major national parks over here. Uh, U.S. and Canada as well. And then I also, um, I work for a lot of different companies too, where I kind of travel around and shoot different things for them too. So, I mean, for me, like, I'd like to really think that like, it's my life really, because I've managed to kind of carve out this career over the years and just kind of make my hobby my job. And it's kind of this weird relationship where it's all the thing, right? Like people are like, separate work from your life, but it's like, it's kind of, I tried to make it a more holistic life, I guess you'd say. Right. Well, that's the dream, isn't it? Right. If you can find what you love and then actually find success doing that, that's incredible. Well, I know that you, uh, you do a lot of uh, adventure photography, outdoor photography, but what are some of your favorite types of photograph to take? Because I know that you do a lot of different, uh, different, I guess you would call, <laughs> I don't know if you'd call them genres, but a different type, uh, a lot of different mm-hmm. types of photography as well. What are your favorite types of photographs? I, I try to do a different thing so I never get bored with it, to be honest. It kind of right, uh, right. do the things that pique my interest. Um, and that's been uh, that's been pretty great there. But uh, to go back to your question, though, I think like for me, it, it's it's definitely the landscape photography or nature photography. Mm, right. I guess you could call it adventure photography, too, as well. Um, right. Photography is kind of funny because it's 
it's kind of like music. It's been split into all these tiny little genres, but it's mm-hmm. kind of all still just rock and roll. You know what I mean? So <laughs> right, it's kind of right. funny there. Yeah. It's all the same stuff. Um, but I was just going to go back to, um, yeah, like the, the landscape stuff. I mean, with photography, it, it really helps you to see these things that I think a lot of people just don't maybe take the time or get the privilege to see because right. not only are you going to these amazing places in the world, you're, you're going to these amazing places in the world when the, nobody is there. Um, mm. You're seeing things at four o'clock in the morning because you, you have to, like you, we chase light, right? We chase weather conditions. Right, you're yeah. always trying to get the best photo, right? So you have to be really disciplined to get out there every morning or stay out all night or whatever you need to do. Right. And by doing that, it creates a whole different, a whole different world that you get to see. And it's, it's really a way to like experience the world on your own terms. And I, I guess it's more of a personal experience. Um, and it's, it's hard to describe in that sense, but it's, it, it almost humbles you. It brings you back to like the world. I, I like to right. joke too, that usually at these places, like I'm walking out when everyone's walking in and I'm like, where have you been? Like, you've missed everything. Like it's 10 AM. Come on. Get out here. (laughs) (laughs) Right. Sure. I guess that photography kind of gives you the chance to look at something through a completely different uh, lens, if you will. (laughs) Right. But, But look at things through a very different perspective than you would if you were just looking at them with your own eyes, because you kind of, as you said, you're chasing the light. You're trying to find it with that, maybe that image or that scene that you're searching for. And it kind of forces you to get out there and explore it in a different way, which I think is super cool and it takes it does take a lot of dedication to uh to try to take that perfect photograph it's almost a madness too <laughs> the funny part about it <laughs> right. is because you're always chasing the next thing yeah it, it's right. it's hilarious because it's like you take something great and then five minutes later it's like what have you done now what have you done lately <laughs> <laughs> right <laughs> <So>. <laughs> Well, what is your what is your background with photography? So, how did you get into it? What inspired you to become a photographer, especially a landscape photographer? What was that spark that got you into this field? So, I basically started taking photos. Like, I think my generation, our generation, you know, I'm like late 30s, so I've been taking photos my whole life in one way or another, right? Like, parents got the disposable cameras. We didn't have cell phones quite yet until we got older, but there right. still was cameras everywhere right cheaply available for the most part so in some ways I guess I've been taking photos my whole life I didn't start really I would say getting serious about it to maybe like my late teens Mm. and then from there and then probably around 19 or so I got I think I got like one of those first digital cameras like the the first compact ones right Um, and then I really just started shooting serious with it and the funny part was is like after about like a month or two months I just got, I was, I'd had enough of it because it, it didn't have the controls I wanted. and I couldn't customize it. And I just kind of grabbed my parents' old Canon camera that they had, you know, and you didn't think much of them back then, but like those old film cameras, you can do anything with them. They're just fantastic. Like you can just do anything with them as long as you're cool with shooting film. But anyway, in that, um, I did that seriously as a hobby for a while. And then I just kind of, uh, I don't know, I just kind of like started working just regular jobs. I ended up working in kind of a factory for a while. And then I just kind of never thought that I could do it. You know, like I never thought that that was the career that you did. Right. Like I'm from like middle of Canada, prairies, working town, like literally the village that I'm from has five houses in it. So like, it's, it's pretty small. Right. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. I like to joke now in Toronto, I actually, 
I um I see more people in a day than I saw in the first twenty years of my life now. So it's oh my gosh, yeah, <laughs> uh, <laughs> wow. <laughs> um, but sorry, yeah, getting off track there. But um, to go back to that, um, yeah. So I just kind of got to the point where I was just unhappy, and then right. I um I went back to school for a year, and I thought I might uh, try some maybe some like science related or medicine, and I quickly mm-hmm. realized that I I couldn't memorize. Um, uh, like memorize the anatomy and I was like, Oh geez, if I can't memorize <laughs> right. what body parts are, this isn't, this isn't going to work for anyone. <laughs> um, but anyway, uh, from there I, j- I just kind of said to hell with it. And then I, um, I just went to school for photography for the program was like a one year program. It, it's like a college degree up here. Okay. Um, which is a little bit different than the U S system, but right. it's kind of, it's more like a community college, right? Um, okay. Sure. And then I just, um, I came out of school and then I realized there was no jobs for photographers. And then I started a company two months later and then I just figured it out. Yeah. So that's, that's awesome. Kind of my thing. I started really small and it builds. Well, you mentioned that you kind of got your start with a, a film camera. Do you still shoot on film or do you mostly shoot digitally now? Pretty much exclusively digital now. Yeah. Yeah. I still like to play around with film from time to time. It's just, it's, it's fun. It has a different kind of feel for it. Uh, but of course it does get expensive, doesn't it? <laughs> just the fact of having to buy yeah. and develop <laughs> it rather than just being able to delete a picture if it's no good. Right. <laughs> yeah, for sure. It's uh, I don't know. I, I, I keep thinking I'd like to get into large format uh, work oh, yeah. um, again, you right. know, like the big eight by 10 sheets of film. Right. And you're like, there's like $70 with each click type of shot. <laughs> right. But man, you can get so much detail in those pictures though. You can. It, it's very it's very intentional photography, which is really neat too cuz like that's like the that's the gold standard you want, right? You don't want to take 100 photos. You want to take five. One really good one, right? The one it's Yeah. Yeah. So they kind of force you, which is nice. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's kind of the thing about about film is that you you can't just shoot everything you see you have to be like you said very intentional about what you take a picture of uh, and especially with medium format or large format really well cool well you mentioned that you had photographed 48 national parks throughout north america so what are some of your favorite places either to photograph or just to see in the u.s and then also in canada some of your favorite national parks so u.s oh geez like utah Mm. northern arizona that whole area is just amazing it's so like otherworldly isn't it yeah <laughs> like arches and zion like these it places is. they look like they're from an alien planet no and they're just like they're so rich too like it's just like it's hard to believe like when you first see it the first time you see one of those parks with like the red stone and mm-hmm. the dirt and like it just blows your mind you're like i didn't know this existed right to go back to probably the favorite ones down there um if we're talking national parks I probably say that Bryce Canyons might be my favorite one. That's like the otherworldly one. Like like Arches is too, of course, but like Bryce Bryce with all the um, the rock formations and everything. Like I think like this one isn't in that area. It's a little bit south, but um like White Sands is now a uh, national park. When I was there it wasn't. Right. That's quite recent, I think, within the last 2 or 3 years that they got upgraded from national monument to national park. Yeah, it's it's kind of I guess they have like you have to work your way up or something to get right. to the national park because there's <laughs> there's so many monuments too, right? Yeah, that are just equally as amazing. 
but for that one, uh, like white stance was just, it's the same thing. It's otherworldly. It's like yeah. pure white sand in New Mexico. It comes out of nowhere. And then it's just like, it just blows your mind. Yeah, absolutely. It's incredible. Now, what about in Canada? Because I am fairly familiar with U.S. national parks, but I've actually never been to Canada. So what are some of your favorite either national parks or just places to photograph in Canada? Uh, yeah, you should come sometime. It's it's pretty great up here. That's what I've heard. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I would say um, Banff is, you probably heard of Banff, right? Yeah. Yeah. So that's, that's like the iconic Canada national park, right? Uh, Rocky Mountains. And then there's also Jasper, which is connected to the north of it. So those two are probably, I would say, like the major parks here. It's Rocky Mountain, so it's I would it's comparable to like Rocky Mountain National Park in Colorado, but it's really there's something different about the Canadian Rockies. Like they're sharper, they're newer, it's more rugged. Like I know it sounds weird to say they're sharper, but the mountains look sharper. <laughs> from a distance right right. they look more like like knives punching up to the sky and then like that that greenish water you see in uh washington state as well um so it's it's pretty similar up to there and then to the east coast too is there's some there's some good ones out there too uh like newfoundland yeah that would be like similar to probably maine in the u.s okay it's probably quite similar in canada i always say that you know the u.s you know, may have some issues, may have its problems, but the National Park Service is not one of them. I think if there's, if there's one thing the U.S. does right, it's its national parks, because there is some incredible nature, I think, in North America. And sometimes it is overlooked by tourists yeah. who come from other places. You know, people come and they go to New York City or Los Angeles, but they don't make their way to, you know, White Sands, for example. Like, I, I would even say, too, like, the U.S. national parks, like I, I think they're the best in the world, and really, yeah. Canada, I think, could learn a few things from the U.S. National Park Service. It's immaculate. the The operation that they run there is just second to none I've seen. Um, so props to them, and also too the the cost to go to the U.S. national parks is so affordable. It's just crazy yeah, to true. me how cheap it is for you know, like I think like. What is it for a yearly pass? I think it's like $140 or something like that. Something like that. Yeah. And that gets you and like whoever's in your car <laughs> also in for free. Yeah. It's just amazing. Uh, yeah. Like I think everyone in the world should go there uh, anytime they visit. That's yeah. where you need to go, especially if you're going to Las Vegas, like get out of Las Vegas for a day. Just please. <laughs> Nothing against Las Vegas. <laughs> <laughs> but there's so many more interesting things in that part of the world, right? Well, what are some of your favorite photographs that you've taken and what are the stories behind them? I'm going to jump back to White Sands on that one, on the first one. When I went to White Sands, it was it was like a minimal, it was kind of a sandstorm going on. And I got there like late, close to sunset. And it was just like amazing. So I must have just looked like a complete fool because I'm, I'm just I, I had to wrap <laughs> the camera because it's blowing sand. Right. And the last thing you right, want in a camera is sand. Like not good just, for your lens. Yeah. <laughs> no, no, it's not good for anything. Yeah. So I got this. I got the camera. I got like a T-shirt because I'm traveling in a car or a rental car. And like, this is normally what I do when I go to these places. Like I, I'll fly in and I'll rent a car and then I'll basically 
go around and I'll, I'll either camp or just find a hotel, but I prefer to camp. But anyway, um, so yeah, so I just grab like a dirty t-shirt out of the car. Right. And then I got like wrapped around the camera. Right. And I, I'm running through these sand dunes in this sandstorm and giggling like a little child. And it was just like absolutely amazing. The sun's coming down. Right. And it's just, I don't know. It's just like, there's a few moments like when you do this, that like, just, they just almost break your heart. I think like it just, you see something that's just so so beautiful like it, it changes you it changes who you are as a person and then everything you see from there is just that little bit different and that i think is definitely one of those moments i try to call the one photo it's uh it's got a really long title it says one day you're gonna look at the world and it's gonna change the person that who you are um i think i botched that a little bit but um i think that's something that uh it's it's like any moment you get to do something that takes you outside of yourself, I think is huge. And I, I think that is what travel is. And I think that is what adventure is because we get so stuck in our heads all the time and with our own little things. And it's, there's a whole big world out there. Like you got to put yourself out there. I guess probably the next one, see, I could probably just do this for hours and tell you all of the stories of all of them. So <laughs> Hey, that's what you we want to hear. Feel free to move me on, but cool. I'm in the right place then. Um, anyway, um, so I guess probably the next one I would say is probably Monument Valley, uh, Utah. I've never been there. Oh, you have to go there. So that's like like Monument Valley is. The, I've, I'm sure you know, or if you don't, I'll just inform everyone. Like Monument Valley is the most like it's the iconic American West photo. It's in every Western movie you've seen. It's anytime you see someone riding a horse and there's like uh, like a mountain range in the background, it's probably Monument Valley, at least from the 70s or 60s or anything. Isn't that where Forrest Gump stops running and decides to go home where he's in the middle of the desert on that very long road? I think it I think it actually is. I think it is Monument Valley. Yeah, I'm pretty sure it is. Okay, actually. Right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, and that one, I, I was racing there from, oh, where was I coming from that day? I was coming from, because it, it's near Page, Arizona, which has a lot of different things in it. And it's also Horseshoe Bend's right near there. And then also Antelope uh, Antelope Canyon's right near there as well. Um, and the road is kind of coming into Page. So it's like that whole area, right? Like 200 mile radius is, there's so many things in it. Um, but anyway, I was, I was headed, I think I was headed North and I was coming through and I was racing to get there. And I, one of the things too, is cause you're always racing the sunset, right? You're always trying to get into the best position. So it's, mm. it's kind of a little bit of a race sometimes. And you're looking for spots to stop and you're like, Oh, there's someone there. That's not a good spot. Or there's someone there. That's not a good spot. Right. And then I was like, no, 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 no. And then finally I just found this one place and I was like, oh, I don't know if this is good. And then I just pulled over whatever. Um, which is funny because like so much of the shots, there's so much planning that goes into them. And then every now and then you just get something and it, it feels like you just get real lucky. And so it's winter time. I'm racing, trying to get there. And I'm from Canada too. So like winter time in the desert down there is like, I'm like, this is spring. This isn't a big deal. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. There's a different perspective on that. I think. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, uh, sorry, I'm going off track. Um, but yeah, to go back to it, um, I just basically pulled the car over and then set up real quick. And then probably like one of the best sunsets I've ever seen in my life to see an entire sky just turn red and pink blows your mind lasted probably two minutes. And then 
then to darkness and that was it but it only takes two minutes wow that is so cool like you said as much planning as you put into it sometimes there's just that that element of being in the right place at the right time mm-hmm. it's it's like 90 percent of it is showing up right right it's got to show up well what are some of your um maybe some funniest moments that you've had in your work in the wilderness and then also maybe if you've had any scary moments it's always kind of funny. Um, I'm kind of a ridiculous person, so I seem to <laughs> walk across these these funny things sometimes. I've seen some scary things with people in parks um, not behaving. I've seen some people do some crazy things that I don't think they should do, um, but that's probably not very funny to talk about those things. I think like the, probably the White Sands was the funny one again, right? Where I was just kind of running sure, around there. Sure, um, I guess anytime you're trying to lug your gear around, keep it keep it safe, and you've got like thousand plus dollars worth of equipment that you're trying to protect, it's it's going to look a little bit ridiculous, right? Oh yeah, it, it's a ridiculous thing, right? Like you're gonna carry this computer box across <laughs> these miles to get somewhere <laughs> to push a button to show you to show other people the evidence that you did this right <laughs> right people are right gonna pay you. like i'm well aware of how ridiculous my career is but i think it's kind of fun yeah <laughs> let's talk a little bit about gear then what kind of gear do you use i generally shoot nikon cameras exclusively i'm i'm not getting i'm not sponsored or anything by nikon um yeah so i mean for me you, you kind of start a system mm-hmm. and then you buy into the system and you kind of stick with the system. So, and it, like Nikon cameras are fantastic too. So I I shoot pretty much exclusively. I'll shoot like a Nikon D850 right now. High megapixel count. It, it's just a really great camera. And then I have a few other Nikon cameras that I shoot as well too. I've just kind of stuck with them. Been my favorite for there. I'll also touch like a Sony camera every now and then too. But I usually use Sony more for just uh, for video. I find the video with Sony is just is just great. You know, and then sometimes too, I might touch something a little bit more higher end for video, like a red or something like that. But mostly, mostly it would be Sony for video. But um, I feel like I'm giving you a really long answer on camera. Um, So Nikon D850. I'd go second most important thing is a good tripod. Mm. I use uh, a slick, it's called aluminum tripod. It is not that expensive. It's probably like a $300 tripod. And it might sound expensive, but when you're looking at tripods, like you can hit thousand, two thousand. Well, compared to camera like, gear, that's not that bad. That's not that yeah, bad. Yeah, for sure. And I, it's not the highest end of tripods, but the thing is tough and it's metal and it's. A lot of people swear by carbon fiber, and I could be wrong, but like I can hit things with that tripod. I can use it as a, as like a cane to get across rivers. I can do whatever I need to do with that thing. And I, I'm not worried if I break it. And so far it's, it's held up for seven years. I don't even know how I've even had, even had the leg fall off it. I just put it back on and it's good to go again. So it just works great. And then um, Manfrotto, I, I use a geared Manfrotto tripod head, which is really, is really important. I think to have instead of like a ball head now, um, just because my work's gotten so precise now, especially with like if I'm shooting any architecture or things like that, like it, it has to be so precise when you're shooting wide angles to really get things not distorted. And I, I think that's really crucial is to get things exactly the way you want them. And just like one degree out can really change things in a bad way. Besides lenses, the next 
most important thing I think is a good set of filters. Um, I use Lee grad filters. When it comes to lenses, what kind of lenses do you like using when you're outdoors, when you're shooting landscape photography? So lately I'm using, uh, I use the Nikon 19 uh, tilt shift lens. It's a, the 19, it's the Nikon 19 millimeter PCE. And that is, uh, that's one heck of a lens um, because mm. you can change perspective on it. You can frame everything you want. It's like, it's like using an old large format camera in a DSLR container. That's awesome. Yeah, I, I love that because I can get more sky. I can control ground and then I can shift focus if I want. That's a that's a pricey lens too, but you don't have to just stick with that type of lenses. Like I've taken a lot of shots with just like a 50 millimeter 1.8 Nikon lens, which is I think is like $60. Cool. Well, you mentioned that you like to go camping when you're out there. So I guess outside of film gear, what are some of your favorite pieces of camping gear or just some some pieces of equipment that you wouldn't want to be outdoors in the national park without? I generally car camp. I'll say that. Um, I'm not backpacking as much. My gear is going to be slighted towards more to more like heavier stuff. So just saying you can't strap it to your back. So like a Coleman, Coleman camp stove is probably the most important. There's a few things that I, I swear that everyone needs to carry. I, one is a life straw. I think you should always have one of those in case you need it. Um, always have water in the desert. Always have water. You see people walking into trails with no water and it's insane because if you actually read the statistics of people who don't make it out of national parks, it would really make you carry water. Always have a headlamp. Good headlamp is irreplaceable, especially if it gets dark. And like there have been times where I've walked into places and because I'm going to sunset and it, it's very hard to see your way out and you are at cliffs and like Having that headlamp has like probably literally saved my life a few times. It's the difference between like walking off the side of a cliff and not, right? Um, I think emergency blankets are definitely a thing you should always have. I've never had to use one. I assume they work. I just like to carry one. Right. So. right. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. Have you used one before? <laughs> I mean, not not really. So back in, in the day, I was, I was in the Boy Scouts and I did my Wilderness Survival Merit Badge and Part of that was we had to go, you know, survive overnight in the woods and we could bring five items. And I think one of the items I brought was a survival blanket. But of course, it was like it was the middle of summer in, you know, like in, in New Mexico or something. So it was like 90 degrees yeah. Fahrenheit at night. We did not need <laughs> that. You know, I think I laid on top of it. So I, I don't know, but I'm sure they do. Work. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> I have my doubts. They look like a piece of tinfoil. Yeah, yeah, right. You never know. <laughs> But at least it gives you that mental comfort, right? You know you have it with you. <laughs> yeah, for sure. I think that's that's one of them. Um, to go back to the things, um, <laughs> um, usually uh, a first aid kit would be a sure, great necessity right. to have. Just a little one. It doesn't need to be a specific kit, but it should have some basics in there for you in case you need it. And like granola bars, things like that. And your phone, too. Um, satellite phone, I guess, if you need it. It depends where you are. Most of the parks now, they they don't have um, service per se, but they have um, they have like internal service so you can call emergency services, which I think oh, is okay. a really That's neat to way know. to do it. Yeah, so you can still like, like if you're in 
Death Valley or something, you can still call 911 and they'll come help you, but you can't like call your friend and say, how's it going type of thing. It's, it's pretty neat because it can, you know, it, it keeps that, maintains the integrity of the park, but still recognizes that like, right. If there's an emergency, someone needs to help. And I think that just being overly prepared is probably a, a good idea, whatever you're doing, right? Oh, definitely. Yeah. It's kind of funny, too. Like, I'm from a place that's pretty remote. And, mm-hmm. uh, well, not not Toronto, where I live now, right? But uh, Manitoba. Right. And uh, you kind of notice, like, there's also, too, I'd say in, like, the park areas and the wild areas of the U.S., there's almost a different mentality of, just kind of helping each other out. And I think it is yeah. because these places are so wild because if you are out on your own and you need help, like bad stuff can happen to you if you're not prepared. So I think yeah. there's kind of a difference in that wilder mentality maybe. I, I don't I don't know how to call it, but it definitely pays to be prepared um, out there. But there's definitely people that will help you out too. So You're so right. I mean, I've had so many experiences where people will just come up to you and like, you know, if you're having trouble with your tent stake, someone will come up to you and, and lend you a mallet or, you know, you wake up the next morning and there's like a lady there who has made extra pancakes and it's like, hey, do you want some extra pancakes? I, m- I made too many. And you just accept them because there's that kind of camaraderie that you get, I think, when you're out there in nature sometimes when you're camping. Yeah, I think so. Maybe it's just even to the distractions of everyday life are kind of gone a little bit too. Yeah. Right. Well, what are some of the tips that you might recommend if somebody might want to get started with outdoor photography? I'm going to say the simplest thing is that the first step is to start. A lot of times people get afraid and just start. Take pictures of everything. Take pictures of your family. Take pictures of trees in your neighborhood or street scenes. You know, there's probably a million good photos right in front of you that you don't even realize are there. Like I'm looking out the window right now and there's a maple tree and there's probably... 10,000 leaves on that tree and each one of them would probably make a good photograph. So there's so much there. Start with your phone if you need to. I like I recommend getting off the cell phone for photos. Some people use them and they have great luck with it. I don't prefer to shoot with a cell phone, but that's just me. Um, you can get like one of those old film cameras, right? Like yeah. we were just talking about it. You can get those for like probably 20 bucks. You can find a good film camera now. Go just start small. I'm sure you've seen it too. It, People just get so gear obsessed when it comes to photography and it comes to like, it's almost like this like um, competition of who spent the most money on this lens or that lens. And to be honest, like you, you don't need that a lot of that stuff. It helps you. Like, I'm not going to lie to you. Like the $4,000 lens I was talking about at the start, that's a great lens if you know how to use it and it will help you take better photos for it, but you do not need that to start at all. Like right, you can get okay. that $60 lens. And and then uh, what about tips for anyone that maybe wants to get outdoors? People that are not comfortable with nature, but want to be more adventurous. For sure. I, I guess I'd probably say the same thing. Like the number one thing is to start <laughs> with everything, right? My, uh, my wife and me have been talking about this recently, kind of like with trips and stuff. And I think for like for us, I know with like the pandemic and everything, mm-hmm. we didn't get to travel as much and do all those things that we like to do. And I think too, like we kind of, we discussed it too. Like sometimes we get stuck because we want to plan this perfect trip. Like we oh, want yeah. this perfect thing to happen. Right. And right. I think we're all guilty of it to some extent. And the key is like, it's not to plan the perfect trip because that's not something that exists. 
And I think tied it to like, it's like that adversity in those trips are kind of what make them the best. Right. So like, just start. I don't know. What are your experiences with it? Like, I feel like so much of my great trips, it's just been me just figuring it out and doing it on oh, my yeah. own. Oh, yeah. No, I, I totally agree. I think sometimes the best adventures I've been on are the ones where things maybe even have gone wrong, you know, <laughs> you know, where something went completely off the rails, but it introduced some element of excitement, you know, some element of adventure, whether that's weather or you know, something, some hotel booking got canceled and I had to scramble for the last minute to find somewhere else to stay. You know, I, I think you're totally onto something mm-hmm. here where, it, you know, over planning doesn't really necessarily benefit you all that much. Sometimes, sometimes when things go wrong, you're actually going to end up having the better adventure or sometimes when things are more unpredictable. Yeah, that's, that's great that uh, you mentioned that. Yeah, because it, it is, it's kind of like those memorable trips are the ones where oh, yeah. you have some trouble, right? is it go back to like the U S national parks. And if you are in the Southwest and just, just go get in your car and go see some of these places. I, I can, I'm reminded of this one time I was staying. Um, I think I was just staying in like a motel six or something right in uh, the Southwest. And I think I'm try. I can't remember the name of the town. It escapes me, but I was about two hours from the grand Canyon. The, um, the hotel clerk, I'm checking in and they just kind of asked me like what I do because I got all these bags and stuff. And I just kind of mentioned, well, I'm a yeah. photographer. And they're like, well, well like, what are you photographing? I said, well, I'm doing a bunch of stuff, but I just came from the Grand Canyon. And he's like, I've never been there. And I'm like, I've traveled like probably 20 hours just to see this. And you're two hours away and you've never seen this. Like, I'm like, you need to go see this. <laughs> like. You've been to the Grand Canyon, right? I have. Yeah, I have. It's like one of the best places on the planet, is it not? Like It's, it's mind-blowing. The- yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, like, go see it. <laughs> Just get out yeah. there. You know? I guess that's kind of like the thing where people who live in New York City never go to see the Statue of Liberty. When you're living somewhere, you sometimes think that adventure is somewhere far away, but it, it isn't. There's adventure no. literally... You know, just down the road from where you live, and and you overlook it. Yeah, and a lot of I think a lot of those great things do kind of start at home too, because I think you can right. see all those things and then migrate that as you move out. Oh yeah, absolutely. And kind of like your example of looking out the window and taking pictures of the maple tree. You know, adventure I think is really it's it's what we make it. You know. Yeah, and I think that too. That kind of goes to like that mindset of travel, where it just kind of opens up your worldview. Yeah. To me, I think like maybe adventure is more of like a philosophy than even the act of doing it because I don't know, like, correct me if I'm wrong, but there's something about life when everything becomes mundane and boring and you forget to experience the things that are amazing that just kind of takes the spark out of it. It's not that things necessarily are boring around you. It's that you've lost that perspective on it, right? And you have to have to rediscover that. Mm hmm. Uh, Well, what are your upcoming adventures then? So you've been to 48 national parks, which is way more than I can say. Uh, What are your upcoming plans? Do you have any, anything exciting planned in the near future that you're looking forward to? Yeah, we have a bit, like we're just, we're just opening past COVID here in Canada. Like we've had probably, they say it's been the most lockdown city in the world for two years. I I don't know if that's true. I think China was worse to be honest. (laughs) From what I've seen of Shanghai, it's not nice there. Yeah, yeah. Nobody was locking us in our houses or anything, so it was yeah, not that bad in perspective. Yeah. <laughs> but um, 
Yeah, we just uh, we just did a trip to Ireland. Oh wow, cool! Three weeks ago, so that was just a quick little four day trip. We were just like, we're just gonna go and have some fun, and we did. And it was probably one of the best trips we've had because it was just four days and like again, not looking for the perfect trip. But uh, some more things. I still have to finish the East Coast parks. I have not done them, the U.S. East Coast parks, so I need to do those. And then we're trying to figure out how to do a South American one. I want to try to figure out, and I'm still in the planning stage. Yeah, trying to look at maybe flying into Colombia and then running that whole East Coast of South America right down to the tip. Um, cool and see some penguins oh i'd love to see that that's so cool (laughs) yeah (laughs) me too that's that's what's gonna take some planning awesome well robert where can people find you online um so you can check out my website that's probably the easiest place to find me so it's robertloudon.com and i'll just spell it because my last name's sounds different than it's spelled so it's r-o-b-e-r-t-l-o-w-d-o-n.com and you can also check me out on different social medias. Um, have an Instagram, Twitter, all those things. Just Robert Loudon. You can always Google me too. I tend to pop up there. Awesome. And we will definitely put links to all of that in the show notes, which you can find on attemptadventure.com as well. Robert, thank you so much for coming on the show. It was a ton of fun talking to you today. I hope that our listeners are going to be inspired as well to go out and check out some national parks or take some photos or just just get outside and, and start adventuring in any way that they can. And so thank you so much for uh, for sitting down to talk with me today. Yeah, thank you so much. It's been such a pleasure. All right, and we are back. It was a really fun episode. He was a great guy, a lot of fun to talk to. His favorite part of the U.S. is also maybe my favorite part, the uh, the Southwest, New Mexico. Like White Sands yes. is one of my favorite national parks in the entire country. Underrated, highly underrated. Definitely. It's just so cool out there because you have mountains, you have, you have a little bit of everything. It's great. Yeah, yeah. And like we were talking about, that whole Southwest region is so alien. It's so otherworldly. It is. But I will say, and I don't know if we've talked about this on this show, the U.S. National Park Service is one of the few parts of our government that I am extremely proud of. I am so proud of it. You can say what you want, and U.S. has problems. I will not deny that. We have plenty of problems. The National Park Service is not one of them. No. That is one thing that makes me so proud to be an American, the exemplary U.S. National Park Department. It is phenomenal. They just do such a good job preserving the the national treasures of the U.S. Yeah. And you have all the way from national parks in the middle of the desert, like Joshua Tree. You have national parks in the Arctic up in Alaska. You have national parks in swamp. You have national parks in the ocean, in tropical ocean. It's crazy. The difference between Gates of the Arctic and Dry Tortugas are insane, but they're both in the U.S. And it really highlights the diversity of our country. Yes. And I think we forget that. Yeah. We forget that, again, yeah, like Dry Tortugas is in the U.S. Gates of the Arctic is in the U.S. Denali is in the U.S. Where I am right now, I have Rocky Mountain National Park an hour away from me. I have Great Sand Dunes a few hours south. That one's weird because you can see snow-capped mountains and be in, like, ocean sand. It's weird. But anyway. 
Now, uh, I know that you uh, you were playing around with a camera a while back. Have you kept up with that at all? Mm-hmm. A little bit. I've switched more back to my phone. I try real hard. I've gone back to more of my phone just because I always have it with me. I always, right. it's real easy to whip out and take a picture. And iPhones, especially the newer ones, I have great cameras on them. I have a recommendation, James, for you, and that is the app Camera Plus 2. All right, I will download it right now. If you're going to use your phone, use the app Camera Plus 2. It is like, it's a couple bucks to buy, but it is so good. I take all my pictures with Camera Plus 2. It is $8, which is just fine. I actually shoot film pretty frequently because film is very cheap in Thailand. It's very cheap to develop. A roll of black and white film costs, I, I think, around $3 US to develop. A roll of color is like $5. And they'll develop it and digitize it for you. So I do shoot a lot of film. I actually have a Canon EOS 2000, which was like the last great film camera that they made. And I mean, these things went for like 1500 bucks in like 1999 and you can buy them for like $15 nowadays. They take amazing pictures. <laughs> See, that's, I really would like a film camera, but it's impossible to find film and it's impossible to get it developed. It's really popular here. You know, and there's something about a picture on film. That's just different. Grain looks better than noise. Doesn't it like digital noise? Yes. For whatever yes, reason. It does. It's just like how you watch old, old videos Mm-hmm. from like those old video cameras and they still look great. It's different, yeah. but it's true. Film grain looks way, way better than digital noise does. Phantom Menace looks better than Attack of the Clones because it was shot on film, right? <laughs> yes, it is true. And we will go to our grave thinking this. <laughs> James and I are in the small minority that are t- in total agreement that Phantom Menace is one of, or it's the best of the prequels and it is one of the best Star Wars movies. And I will stand by that. Quick nerd tangent, why not? I will put it, let me think, fourth. Fourth. Okay, so let me let me guess, fourth. James. I would say, if I know you, I would say that, I'm not going to, I don't know the exact order, but I would say that you're going to put okay. uh, New Hope, Empire Strikes Back, and Rogue One above it. Am I correct? Yes, you are correct. Yes, all right. <laughs> my order actually is number one, Rogue One. It's my favorite Star Wars movie. I know this is a nerd tangent, but yeah, so Rogue One. Empire Strikes Back, New mm-hmm. Hope, Phantom Menace. It's such a good film. I think the reason I like it is because it honestly is kind of a standalone movie. You know, it's yeah. almost the pre it's the prequel to the prequels, right? And it had the best lightsaber battle of all time. Yeah. In Duel of the Fates. Duel of the Fates. And it had pod racing. Thank you for listening to our nerd tangent. Sorry about that. We get on those sometimes. Uh, anyway. Robert, thank you so much for coming on the show. We're so glad we got to uh, talk to you today. It was a lot of fun. If any of our listeners out there, if you are a photographer and you feel like showing us some of your work, feel free. We'd love to see it. I love photography. My wife is an, is an excellent photographer because it takes that like natural eye of seeing things, which I sometimes get, but most of the time it just it goes over my head because there are certain angles and certain ways to take pictures. My wife is always very disappointed in me because I'm a very bad portrait photographer. <laughs> She's learned to accept me for what I am. I'm a much better landscape photographer than I am a human photographer. <laughs> That's funny. Um, well, James, in any case, it is time for our favorite segment, Adventures in the News. And this week, it is my turn. So this is not good news. I'm sorry to say it's actually bad news. 
but it is about one of my favorite national parks, one that we've been to. You and I have been to like three times together, Carlsbad Caverns. Mm-hmm. Very sadly has had to close for the time being due to extreme fire danger. So, you oh, know, that no. part of that part of New Mexico is very dry, but uh, thanks to climate change and just the ongoing drought in the Southwest, apparently things have gotten really, really bad. So maybe not adventure news, but national park news. Uh, Carlsbad Caverns and some other national parks in that area have closed due to extreme fire danger. It says the main road to the caverns and the visitor center are still open, but essentially everything right now, according to the National Park Department, everything from Texas West, essentially I would say everything Mm. west of the Mississippi is in the red. It is really, really bad. So uh, utilize caution, folks, when you are traveling in the western U.S. right just, now. Yeah, and with the effects of climate change and this really just, I have no better word for it other than historic drought, it's awful. It is absolutely awful. We're feeling it here. Not as much. We've gotten a lot of late season snow and some rain, but we're still in a, a bad drought. California needs so much water. So much water. And so just, again, just be careful. Just anytime you're traveling in the western U.S., almost any time of year at this point. Just be be more cautious. If you are traveling from out of the country, I would avoid going to those places during fire season, which is typically the summer months. Really starting June, June through September, really, is fire season. Even if there's not a fire where you're going, the smoke will make it really bad. It just, it becomes a lot less enjoyable, especially when you travel somewhere... Right. Expecting to see these, you know, beautiful vistas and everything else and the smoke will be so thick you can't see anything. Yeah, you know, a lot of people want to travel to California and become really disappointed when they get there and they see that like the sky is just like red yeah, California and, is, and kinda ugly. No, especially during that time of year. Um, California is one of the most it's got some of the most beautiful places in the US in California. It's it's beautiful. But unfortunately, it's very, very dry. They're running out of the little water they do have and Places up around Lake Tahoe, which I will say is probably very much one of the most beautiful places on this earth, is Lake Tahoe in that area. You used to live there. I lived. I lived like 30 minutes away from Lake Tahoe. It was beautiful. But again, during fire season, Reno didn't have fires. And that year, Tahoe didn't have fires. But there was a mountain right outside my window. I could see a big mountain right outside my window. And the smoke would be so thick, I couldn't see it. If the fire's too close, the sky turns red. And it's just, it's, it's very, very eerie. It's, it's really, really creepy. I've never seen that, but yeah, it doesn't sound nice. <laughs> you feel like you're in like Morrowind. <laughs> I was going to say Blade <laughs> Runner, but yeah. <laughs> but, uh, but even so, like even in Texas, you know, whenever we have a burn ban, it's just not nearly as much fun. If you can't mm-hmm. have a campfire, if you're like Carlsbad right now is to an extreme that I've never seen, you know, even in Texas where we have a burn ban, you can still use like a stove. Mm-hmm. Carlsbad has outlawed stoves at the moment because it's so dry and so dangerous there. So be careful. I guess my warning is check the national park Mm -hmm. websites just to make sure that there's no ongoing weather situations because one of the main things, especially in the Western US is drought season and fire season. And it's not a joke. You know, and we're talking millions and millions of acres. Like we're talking like a spark that drops off of a cigarette. Mm -hmm. Um, Early December here, we had a it was the most destructive fire in Colorado history. And that was about really? two miles south of me. Nobody died. Nobody was severely injured, thankfully. But it destroyed millions and millions of dollars worth of homes. And you can drive through those neighborhoods and it's just husks. And it all started from a spark. A spark and wind. That's all it takes. They had to evacuate three cities. 
And I mean, it's just, yeah. So just be careful. That's terrible. Check the weather, check the news. If there's any takeaway, just be careful. If you enjoyed today's show, please don't forget to subscribe. And before we finish up today, just one final reminder of your new monthly challenge. And that is to practice your travel writing. 100 or 1,000 words describing your hometown or where you live. You can find more Attempt Adventure content on Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube, where we are Attempt Adventure. Thanks, as always, for joining us and for listening today. We're always glad to hear from you. You can send listener mail to hello at attemptadventure.com. We read every single message Mm -hmm. we get. We would love to hear from you very soon. Right, Robert, well, thank you again so much for coming on the show. Just a reminder, folks, that you can see all of Robert's photography at robertloudon.com. Check it out. Uh, And until next time, keep adventuring.